Hey everybody, it's Justin. Just one quick announcement before we get to episode two of the Testaments Book Club podcast. First, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Uh, also, want to make sure that you check us out on social media because we have started our handmade Halloween competition, contest, what have you. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Handmade Podcast, and you will see all of the details. We're doing a different contest every day, 31 chances to win a daily prize, and those people will be entered in to win a grand prize pack that includes a signed script from Bruce Miller, executive producer, writer, and showrunner for The Handmaid's Tale, as well as a super cool autographed poster uh, signed by members of the cast and crew from The Handmaid's Tale. So, once again, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Handmade Podcast. All month long, you'll have opportunities to win and be entered to win the grand prize. Without further ado, here is episode two of the Testaments Book Club Podcast from Mayday. Have fun. Is this it? Mayday. Is it? Yes. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Mayday's Testaments Book Club. Woohoo! We got a smaller group today. This is Tiana, who's here with me. Sarah's here again. <laughs> you sound so excited. <laughs> I, I <laughs> You're know, like, Sarah. hi. <laughs> and Whitney's back. <laughs> this is our small group. It's intimate. It's, you know, going to be thoughtful. Fingers crossed. Also, more beer and cheese and mm-hmm. goodness. Yeah. Backup wine in case we run out of the beer. <laughs> yes. It's the way I like it. <laughs> Yeah, so so this week we're going to jump into the same format as last week. Uh, We'll talk about characters uh, throughout our reading. Today we read through uh, chapter 12, so it was roughly another 100 pages, um, with about 200 left to go in the book. So let's kick it off with Lydia, because she's the first one we hear from in Stadium. So this gives us a little bit more information about the turnover, which I'm very excited about. Um, I was kind of eating up every word. Lydia was once again this week, my favorite. Agreed. I feel like she might be my favorite throughout the whole book. She's just so interesting. And she has so much to say. And right now she's doling out so much information. I know. I know. And it's fascinating. And there's still stuff hidden that we don't know. And so you're like, how can I be getting all of this? And yet still have so many questions. Yeah. I feel like she's being coy about releasing her information to her maybe someday mystery reader, which Mm -hmm. is interesting and exactly something Lydia would do. Yes, I agree. I was totally eating up all of that Um, intro into, like, what happened after they got captured. What was it like at the stadium? I was uh, happy to see that, like, my assumption that stadium would be, like, something like what we have experienced in stadiums previously was kind of right on. Sure. Only it's during the part that we have so many questions about. Right. And I... I don't know a ton about the Holocaust, but it reminded me a little bit of like sort of the ghetto situation where it's like mm-hmm. remove people from their home and their profession and their belongings and put them in this 
all crowded group together and kind this of dehumanize also them. Also, what we do did with Native Americans in America. Yeah, and I'm yeah, sure, like in many genocide similar type of situations, um, and then like reduce them to animals, like what she said, where like they couldn't um, take care of any of their um, like hygienical needs. Oh yeah, let's be frank. There were there was like a couple of very small shared bathrooms that were already pretty gross to start with, Clogged and then they didn't and- let anybody. Um, have any kind of menstrual uh, preparedness or, or you know, Just working sinks or toilet paper. I mean, it was pre- it sounded pretty awful. Yeah. And so at one point she says, like, they reduced us to animals to kind of take away our dignity and all of that. And again, it's kind of out of the genocide oppression handbook. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like not that. You know what I mean, though? It, it seems to follow some patterns if you've looked into historical events of of groups of people being broken down into yeah. um, either like being killed or being oppressed or whatever. Um, but it was still really interesting to read about how Lydia <clears throat> processed all of this because she seems very aware of it. Now that's so analytical. Granted, we're looking back on it, too. So that's different because when you're in it, you're just like. I'm yeah. sure feeling different things, but she's looking back on it going, and this is what I experienced, and this is how horrible it was. Which yeah, and she do. talks about the breakdown, like losing yes. her humanity to some degree. So it does seem like she at least remembers it fairly accurately, sure. um, even though, you know, with greater hindsight. I was, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, I, the, the fact that they, they also heightened that psychological torture by having the women come out and shooting them in front of the other women, and that how mm-hmm. Lydia responds of saying, you know, why are they... Why are they doing that? Um, if they're going to kill us anyway, what's the big deal? Like she kind of, I think she's interest, She's interested in waiting to see how things shake out before she makes a plan or anything, which is true to Lydia. I like how that's mm-hmm. been played out in the book and in the show that she, she sits and waits and watches and says, what can I, how can I get out of this? Calculate as much as possible. Diabolical and smart. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I was really uh, struck early on in, in the stadium chapter before we get further on to Lydia's more in-depth description of the horrors uh, that she and other women were subjected to Um, in the beginning during the stadium chapter, it sounded so orderly, Mm -hmm. um, which really sounds very different than the very, brief introductions we had in the show to how, you know, younger fertile women were treated and like they were, you know, forcibly separated from their families and existing children. And Lydia definitely references like being herded like cattle. I don't get the impression that it was in such a brutal manner that it was more of a slow psychological breakdown for these women um, who were, you know, highly educated, professional class um, and largely beyond childbearing age, Mm -hmm. this Mm -hmm. seemed much more orderly and planned and psychological, whereas what was happening to the younger childbearing women in the show, at least not in the book, because we learned so much less in the book, felt much more trying to prevent uh, action, like trying to prevent them from escaping, like it was more physically harsh, um, stuff like that. I don't know. Did that track? Am I the only one? No, I do think it seemed more... um like they were, they were not herding cattle, but like you, like this is a commodity that they want to, or like not herding cattle, but when you, 
what it, I don't know, tame a horse or something. You're kind of like, we know that this animal is wild and could be potentially dangerous because they've had so much power as a judge and a doctor and yeah. they are very smart. Yeah. And I think they recognize that and that's why they're pulling these women out as why else would they pull them by their categories? So there has to be that breakdown. Whereas their mindset in Gilead for women of childbearing age is just, oh, they're just women and like all they're good for is making yeah. babies. So they see maybe a difference of... Like this is like the stallion versus the, yeah, something yeah. else. You have to really break them down. And the mare or whatever. Yeah. I Interesting. Wonder. That's kind of what I thought. So I think, so earlier on in the stadium chapter, I'm still there. Okay. Um, it says there's been a coup on page 116. There's been a coup here in the United States, just as in times past in so many other countries. And that line is really revealing because I think sometimes we like to think of the U.S. as impregnable yes yeah totally i I was thinking similar things and so when that when i read that line i thought margaret atwood put that line in there on purpose because i think americans are like no we've we've always been america and this is how we are but really america is not that old yeah (laughs) yeah completely i was thinking a lot during this these these passages here at the end of stadium um about what it felt like directly after Mm 9-11 how it was so shocking and it just took the whole country a bit to get over the fact that this happened here right on our soil and it's not now it's not it's no longer a thing that is only imaginable far away Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. we had had terrorism in the united states before but it was all homegrown and didn't seem so well organized and massive Mm -hmm. um it also of course didn't have the death toll that 9-11 did and this felt really similar in the like shock and awe and then trying to assess, like, how do we go forward now in this new reality? Yeah. Which was really weird to relive while reading a book of fiction. Yeah. Yeah. It just, yeah. It felt very purposeful. I, yeah. It made, it made me remember, um, I'm going to butcher the historical information about this, but about the genocide in Cambodia and how they also mm-hmm. took the old elderly people and mm-hmm. the, well, the educated because they wanted to go back to this um, agricultural-based society, and they didn't want Western influences, and it, it reminded me of that because they are taking away these higher-thinking people and, mm-hmm. and saying we need yeah, to go the back most to educated. the most the, educated. The, in the United States or in this Gilead world, this is like the biblical way. You know, they're, they're referencing this older time, but the same thing in, in Cambodia. They were like, well, we don't want the Western influence. Let's go back hundreds of years right. and get rid of all of that. Um, and it I was like, that's frightening to think about because you do think as an American that happens in other countries, not here. Right. You know, and you, you get used to that. And for her to say, you pride yourself on being a realist. So face the facts, you know, I think it's a wake up call for some people who might have questions about what's going on in the United States and then feeling like, no, that wouldn't happen here. It's like, yeah, no, you might need to consider Definitely. that as a possibility. Yeah. Much more so than in the original Handmaid's Tale, this seems to point directly at don't be complacent. Yeah. Right. These things mm-hmm. can happen here. Anywhere at yeah. any time. Um, and many, much, much more, stronger civilizations have fallen. Yes. Right. And The Handmaid's Tale was that, but it was at a time when even fewer people were taking it sure. seriously. Yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I find that really interesting. And also, like, you just can't, like, remove Margaret Atwood and her personality uh-huh. and way of thinking from this book. Sure. This is not a book that you can read and not get a sense of her, like what is really directly in her mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so Which that's is great. always fun for me since I really like her. Yeah. Um, however, if you don't actually uh, 
agree at all with agree a lot with margaret atwood this would be a real tough read for you i think yeah i don't know that those people are reading this book hopefully they are not i mean i feel like i feel like i definitely have heard from a fair number of people who read read the original book and still feel like it could never happen here oh absolutely a lot of people who are like i don't know why you're twisting it this way this is not about current events Mm -hmm. blah blah blah. and i'm like "Mm, but Ah. do you not see how the lead up is relatively similar and you know different perspectives but i feel like this one is much more in your face about being clear like this could happen here this is how it starts it's little things right it's you know attacking you can only connect the dots with from the, like in hindsight but at the same time we can start noticing yes red flags and kind of going that could be a dot eventually yeah see that that's a smudge it's a red smudge it's a red right. maybe it's yes. gonna there's gonna be a line there yeah um yeah definitely and i think a lot of the referencing again Back to the thing that we learned early on, that it was posed as a terror attack. Oh, yeah. And that's how they gained control. Sure. I think is very pertinent because that is absolutely something Mm -hmm. that almost happened here and could definitely happen again, Mm -hmm. even in today's climate, with some people being much more aware and alert um, when, you know, Non-domestic terrorism happens in the United States. There are great powers granted to whoever is in elected office at the time. And, you know, depending on their perspective. And their priority. Yeah, and their priority and how many, you know, checks and balances we institute at the time. Because normal checks and balances get suspended. In a time of war or, Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's easy to see the ties to what has happened both in recent history and could happen. So... That is what was so compelling about The Handmaid's Tale to me. All of that. Yeah, that the takedown seems so logical and believable. So relevant 30 years later. I mean, because I read it three years ago or four years ago. I didn't read it as a high schooler or whatever. Yeah, that's so interesting. So when I read it, a lot of things were happening, you know, with the presidents and all that. And then all of that came up and they they masked it as Islamic terrorism and all of this. And Mm -hmm. I was like, and I was like... Why is this so freakishly prophetic? Like, why does this yeah. feel so relevant? And this was written in 1984, and it was just so scary. And that's what the showrunners, I think, capitalized on you know, the yeah. moment in time that we're oh, in. Yeah. And I get that, but I'm just saying, like, I think even in the show, they brushed over some of it that I thought could have been even more pointed. So I sure. think they did a good job of threading the needle there. Islamic terrorism as a as a thing that is scary to the American people right now, and they might be willing to let a lot more things pass that they wouldn't otherwise. Right? Um, yeah, I mean, I did read it, like, as a young person in the early 90s, so it was a very different situation, mm-hmm. and that definitely did not occur to me. That definitely <laughs> did not occur to me until more recent readings, and, of course, you know, doing Mayday, watching the show, talking about it all the time with you guys. Right. <laughs> I was freaking you out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, the show freaks me out enough. Like, <laughs> our, our breakdowns of it, if anything, make me feel a little bit better. <laughs> well, that's good. As far as uh, Lydia's character goes, I, one thing I noticed here, like I said, she kind of sits and waits, but she also understands what is valuable in the moment. Like when she gets her egg salad sandwich, she says she's ashamed that she yes. gobbled it quickly because she feels like I should not be taking, I mean, I, I assume I should not be taking something from these people. Like I shouldn't be happy about this one wonderful thing. But to me, that's also true to her 
um, her character throughout. Like, she's not going to say no to an egg salad sandwich when she's hungry. Right. You know, she's going to say, yeah, I will take and that. And later she scarfed down the hotel food. She was like, right. I, I didn't later, care if yes. it was poisoned. I was so hungry. Yeah. Well, And when you reduce us to that, very few people are above it. I mean, you know, if I go a full day without enough food, I'm, like, angry. So... Tell the people about the cheese bread. Yeah, we're eating cheese bread right now. If you can hear me very quietly going, oh, damn. (laughs) It's because I just took a bite of this delicious oven cheese bread that Whitney brought. These are Brazi bites. And my friend who's Brazilian, who were these, she actually does get these in Brazil also, but you can get them here in the United States. They are freaking delicious, aren't they? (laughs) Where here in St. Louis can we get these? Um, Because I I need some. She said in Schnucks in the freezer section. They're gluten-free and peanut-free, which is the appeal. Flour, yes. But then they're, like, gooey on the inside and slightly crunchy on the outside, and they're just oh, man. warm. They're amazing. And I could eat the whole bowl. They're real tasty. Yeah, Justin and I are forever in search of places where we can both eat safely. Um, so having something that we can just pop in love and that we can both eat safely is a pretty big win. Frosty buys for the win. So, so, oh, oh, I can't let this pass. You guys. For anybody listening who doesn't know, we record this in St. Louis. We are all St. Louisans. Mm-hmm. There is a Schlafly reference oh my gosh, I know. in this section. That? I was like, Several. what? Yeah. It happened. It happened. It happened. She gets milk. So I think, isn't it because of the whole Fli- Phyllis Schlafly Yes, thing? Phyllis Schlafly okay. is the crazy one. It seems to me very clear that the that actual Phyllis Schlafly in real life is the is the model upon which Serena Joy was based. Yeah, like it was, she was when my terrible. the first time I heard about Phyllis Schlafly, I was fairly young because my parents were like okay. complaining to somebody else about Phyllis Schlafly, and that would have been in you know like mid late eighties. Okay, I will Google sure. later. Me and the Googles yeah. get together. Okay, so. Anyway, I was very excited to see an actual sure. Phyllis Schlafly reference. They don't say Phyllis, but I think it's pretty clear that the Schlafly Cafe is because of Phyllis Schlafly. Mm-hmm. Oh. Man, I was thinking about my pumpkin ale. I was not even thinking yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, it's weird. the same family who in St. Louis is <laughs> oh, famous for Schlafly oh, beer. Oh, different the wings of the family. Yeah. The beer people is a different wing of the family than the crazy people. <laughs> yeah, like oh. no association. Nope. No, no association. Nope. So the, of the people that I know involved with the beer wing of the family, great people. Okay. Awesome. They raised those daughters right. They're going okay. to college. Right. They're awesome and smart. But right. yeah, Phyllis was a was a different thing altogether. All right. Good to know. Anyway, I was pretty <laughs> pumped about that. Me. Thanks, Margaret. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, she talks about how, okay, so, you know, they break her down in isolation, right? Because if you want to turn a human being into an animal... That's how you do it, 100%. Anyway, so not they put an instruction a, manual. Right? No, I know. I keep saying it like that. Like <laughs> step one. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, so, any, you know, aspiring administration officials, not an instruction manual. <laughs> <laughs> so they they put her up in this hotel, pamper her for three days. She sleeps. She's able to clean herself. She eats mm-hmm. food, and then yeah, they basically. Real food. Yeah, like, real food. It sounds like, like good, good food. food. Stroganoff and stuff. That right. definitely they won't have later when they have shortages. Right. So then they basically tell her. No, then they put her in isolation. And she comes out kind of a, a shell of herself. Mm-hmm. And then and then know. she meets, what's his name? Uh, Commander Judd. Yes. So at first she, she meets him and he's like, hey. I got this great thing going. Don't you like it? And she was like, what? And he was like, oh, you're not thankful? Well, we'll see about that. Then he puts her in the think, think tank. tank. Then, Which at first I totally read as think tank. Me too. 
And then I was like, wait. I kept having to change. Well, I kept having to change. I have to read it again and be like, that's the word thank, Sarah. Thank, thank, thank. Right. Anyway. And while she's in there, she hears screams and sexual Mm -hmm. sounds and she gets kicked randomly. So, yeah, they beat the shit out of her, but they don't rape her, which is interesting. But they do use tasers and all of this stuff, she says. Yeah. That she won't mention. Um. But then she comes out and then Commander faces off with Commander Judd again and he's kinda like So you, so I got this great thing going, huh, right? And she was like, Sure, yeah, whatever. And he was like, I mean, after the hotel situation. Right. And then they kinda square off and he's like, All right, I'm gonna need you to suit up and be a part of this mission. And the cool part about it was they put it he put her with like three other women, right? That were also former judges or some sort of learned profession or something, you know. So he's like, So you guys gotta run this thing. This is what we're doing and she was like all right, but I get carte blanche. And he's like, yeah, sure, whatever. As long as it's within budget. Yeah, yeah. He's like, as long mm-hmm. as it's within budget, then I can oversee all the major decisions. That's how we run things with in this podcast too, right? Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> and she was like, cool, cool, cool. And that is how she gets the upper hand. Or this is the start of mm-hmm. how you see how Lydia mm-hmm. figured it out. Because she stood up herself in that scene, which after having been broken down right. as a human being, I could see a lot of women, even really strong former judge, whatever yeah, type of women. Yeah, she's definitely making some assumptions. Yeah. So she's been calculating. Mm-hmm. So in that moment, she thought, well, I this is where I can take a little grab. And mm-hmm. so she does. But I don't know that a lot of people, after having been through what she went through, would go, you know what? Okay, cool. But I get this and this and this. I think most people would just be like, okay. like, And just be like, Ugh. Yeah, but I think those are not women they would have chosen to be on. Okay. I think True. they chose women like that to be on specifically because... They can get shit done and they know but, how to make things happen. But I don't know for themselves they, or otherwise. I don't know that they anticipated just how calculating Lydia would be. Oh, yeah, totally. She says later, like. Well, they clearly underestimate all women. Well, yeah. Yes. Um, but she says later that she's like, at one point, and she does like a future reference where she's like, at one point, when he realized just how maybe, how much like dirt I had on him. He later was like, Hey, sorry about that whole thing that happened over mm-hmm. the turnover. Am I right? And she was like, uh huh. So but like, <laughs> he, yeah, I yeah. forget what the word is called. I actually had to look it up to be honest with you. It was like pro- proprietary or to participatory. It was a P word, but basically she's like, when, which basically meant like to make right after wrongs or something. She goes, because basically what he said was like, Oh yeah. I remember that whole thing that, we're cool, right? And she's like, yeah. And so you get the sense that... Like, she, and at that moment, the balance changes, right? Yes. Yeah. And in the moment, he's thinking, all right, I got these women. I'm going to do whatever I want. And then Lydia's like, okay, but this one thing. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. I can't be bothered with the petty, you know, crap that women do. But he doesn't foresee that later on, this will give Lydia like a loophole because he doesn't think that women can right. rise he doesn't, above him anyway. He doesn't think that she will leverage it quite in the crafty mm-hmm. way that she does. And so she basically kind of refers to the future saying like, well, he underestimated me because later on he tries to say sorry. And and so you get the sense that Lydia will rise higher and faster and harder too to the point where even Commander Judd will be like, <laughs> Well, I think exactly what you're describing is totally how Lydia herself describes her upbringing and becoming a judge, right? Nobody mm-hmm. thought that she was going to do shit. Right. Her family her, was offended that she went to college. Beat her because she was such a smarty pants as a kid. Yeah, they mm-hmm. couldn't stand it and they thought they expected nothing of her. So she's got And I think this is apparently her MO is like, you know, exceeding 
expectations. You know, using sure. people's lack of expectations to help get what she wants later. Yeah, and I mean, it's it could be motivating, I suppose. It's very motivating as somebody who had no expectations from a lot of people in my life when I was young. Started Not my family, though. My family then. was awesome. My family mm. thought I could do anything, and I will be forever grateful for that. But for a lot of people in the 80s and 90s, a little mixed kid who kind of struggled with social things didn't have a whole lot of prospect. So one thing I was thinking about, though, was her motivation for coming, for overtaking Commander Judd. I was wondering if she just want the power, because that's, but I, but I noticed that she said when she was in the think tank that she, I can't find the page now, of course, but that she had this vow to get them back no matter how long it yes. took. And so mm-hmm. is this a ploy for her to get them back in some way? Or is it just the fact that she is like, you know what? You say I can't and therefore I will. You know, I don't. Oh, I think it's both. both All of, of the above. And okay. I think it's also like her surest path to survival. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's all of those things. Because once again, she's like, well, if I'm going to have to be in the yeah. shithole, I'm going to have the best spot. <laughs> yeah. If you are a smart and intrinsically motivated individual being told you can't do something is the best way to ensure you will. Yes. Definitely. Um, and I really, yeah, that part where earlier where she thought through, mm-hmm. I'm going to get you. Right. I'm going to figure out a way. I don't care what I have to do right now, how much shit I have to eat in the meantime, Mm -hmm. but I will find a way really stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And that seems to really be a big part of who Lydia is in life. Sarah, you look dumb. Yes. No, I'm sorry. I like I was in here and then I looked up. You were like, like, oh, (laughs) I found the word that I was looking for earlier that no one asked me to. What was it? And it's Propitiate, propitiate. And what does I don't know mean, that word. Um, it means I looked it up last night. I mean, I already knew this word, and mm-hmm. um, it means <laughs> <laughs> to like basically to make amends after the fact or to like you know come. Mm. I mean, it's exactly how it's used in this uh, in this context. And then later on, she says, "He's like, so I hope you forgive me." And she's like, for what? And he's like, oh, stringent measures, you know, all that stuff. And he brings up the turnover. And then she's like, and he's like, oh, so I'm forgiven. And then she says, if I hadn't been so keenly aware of his preference for barely nubile young women, I'd have thought he was flirting. I plucked a scrap from the grab bag. So it's interesting because Mm -hmm. in Lydia's position where she has control over all the women, basically, is what she she is. Mm -hmm. um, She gets a lot of information about people's... I don't tendencies? know. Yes. I don't And there's like no good word that's coming to me right now. And so that's, I think that's part of how she gets like power and yeah. sway or, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you yeah, know. I think collecting those small things that would be unacceptable to the new society that those very people are building. Yeah. is highly valuable. Side note. I vomited my mouth a little bit. Every time we talk about how young some of those brides are. <laughs> oh, it's so gross. And they keep dying. They die. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah, they, they reference. That... They reference that he, his new wife, new oh, wife isn't looking so good. I thought and you were saying he might, he might be in the market for a new young bride. I thought I we're, we're talking specifically about Commander Judd. I thought oh, we were yes. talking about in general. I was like, so a lot of them are dying. <laughs> Although they have done research about that, that would make sense globally. Like people or women who are married and have or children, a child, marriage. yeah, under a certain age. Either they die younger or they... Well, you're way more likely to die in childbirth. Yeah, like there's a lot of statistics that show, I mean, outside of the obvious reasons, uh, there are a lot of statistics that show 
just how harmful it is to a society yeah. to have women forced that, into that those roles. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Also, yeah. you know, countries who uh, subjugate women to lower class citizens or lower roles in the world um, tend to not do so well as countries. Just as a general rule, their economic development is severely, (laughs) severely um, restricted. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. you're cutting out half of your population from, you know, gathering ideas and working toward common goods. So I'm not at all surprised about that. It is definitely something that's been researched a lot. So in, in this leg of the story, there is a lot of reference to the Pearl Girls who were involved in the murder of Daisy's pretend parents. Melanie and Neil. Yeah. So so leading up to that, the Pearl Girls that were apparently invaluable to uh, eliminating those two Mayday participants, one of them died. And the other one went back to Gilead immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, seems to be very different perspectives on what may or may not have happened to these girls. So in the Lydia storyline, we find out that the Pearl girl who survived comes back and talks directly to Lydia as soon as she's back and tells her her seemingly legit story that I don't know what happened. Her partner like attacked her i don't know i can't remember if she said she was trying to kill her self-defense yeah and then she says something about it being in self-defense and then we find out later that commander judd he does not know the story that lydia got Mm -hmm. but i don't know i'm unclear if lydia or that pearl girl told um gilead as a whole that it was she didn't know what happened to her partner it says that... Because they seem very unsure. Mm-hmm. And then a completely different story is what is happening in Canada, both publicly and within Mayday. Yes. So Aunt Sally is the one who survives of the Pearl Girls of the two. And then Aunt Adriana is the one who died. Um, and Aunt Sally says, I don't know why she leapt on me and tried to choke me and I fought back. It was self-defense. But we find out that they thought that... They knew who baby Nicole was. Um, Or at least they had like a good lead. A good lead, right? So then they, Aunt Adriana says it would be premature to tell Aunt Lydia. And she and Aunt Sally insisted that it was important. This is confusing, though. It is truly Um, confusing. There's like four different perspectives on what happened to these two women. But then Aunt Lydia basically says, oh, it's okay. And also, why don't you go to this house Marguerite Kempfrey Treat House in Walden, and you'll be a different woman soon. And she says, I don't want to kill her, but Just I also want her don't want her to talk. Yeah. yeah, I want her to be incoherent. I want her to be a vegetable. Which yeah. is weird to me, about too. And she says, she says, you didn't tell anybody else, did you? So, again, I don't know if this, this is a power play of Aunt Lydia, because she's like, wants all the information. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Or she doesn't believe her. I don't know. I think it's really interesting that that Pearl Girl clearly trusted Lydia above other members of Gilead leadership because she went directly to her with the full story and was like, what should I do? Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting given that Lydia's immediate reaction is to send her away and make sure that she no longer can tell her story. Um, yet Lydia does not then go tell her story in order to gain more power and be like, I'm the one who knew, mm-hmm. give me credit. 
So I think that's that's a really weird dynamic. I'm not sure exactly why she needed to hold on to that information. Well, and then Commander Judd, like you were saying, he says that they're the Pearl Girls set them on a profitable course. <laughs> They've made other discoveries like the micro dots. Mm -hmm. um, oh my gosh! And then there's the Hearing. pen is envy thing. Sorry. I know. Did yeah. you get that? Oh, I yes, was I like, did. come on. I did, and it's also in The Handmaid's Tale, the original. It is book two at the end. Yes, yeah, is says, it? She says Aunt Lydia said because um, I just listened to it before I listened sure. to this, but she says that. And Lydia used to always say pen is envy, um, <laughs> which, of course, is not pen is, right? But I also thought it was funny that Commander Judd was like, yes, we pen wielders must take care to avoid revokes. <laughs> I, I know. Was like, I was like, come oh, on. Oh, dear. <laughs> Put a cap on it. Okay. Yeah. So for, for anybody listening that is like, what the fuck are they talking about pens for? Just, you know, write down pen is envy without spaces. Yes. Or just a space after the S. <laughs> yeah. It's, so basically it says it's penis envy, yeah. um, which is something that a lot of men who would be at home in Gilead think that a lot of women suffer from. Mm -hmm. Oh, <laughs> how, how little understanding of women do they have? Yeah. Um, so, um, anyway. Recurring theme. She does have some interesting responses to Commander Judd, like word choice again, that it keeps like getting me. Um, I know it's intentional, but her heart contracted when she hears that he gets this discovery. She's quivering with what she hopes mm -hmm. would pass as righteous indignation. Mm -hmm. We know she hates him. Caught that. The word choice is very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is for our most, her. for our most asexual character mm -hmm. to be using such provocative words that you would normally use in a romantic context yeah. is just weird. Mm. She's not. Yeah. But it mm, seems it, it really seems like she is using them. And maybe I'm reading this wrong because I, I did not like take note of each time this happened. I feel like it, it seems to happen when she is talking about power, <laughs> mm -hmm. when she's talking about power situations. Um, and does that surprise you at all I mean, that there's not sexuality intertwined really, with power? But I think it's wait, you so guys much. Think that she feels a sexual arousal from this. No. Oh no! But I, I think don't she think so. But I think that it's really interesting that she uses such sexual or romantic hmm. words when describing situations in which power is being gained and lost. Ha duh. We've talked a lot yeah. about how rape is about power and it's not about sexual yeah. satisfaction. So oftentimes people aren't like you're. You're not raped people don't rape people or people don't get raped because of like what you were wearing or what you're right. like any of that That's stupid power. shit. Yeah. It's about power and wanting to feel powerful if you feel powerless and that is how you gain power. Um, or can not feel. really, that's what no, people think, but that's how they feel. And so, um, or can feel, uh, if it's perverse or if it's become, but so you feel like in this situation, she is on top of the power struggle. <laughs> <laughs> There is no, no way we're not to talk about this without <laughs> implying sex. No, I don't think that she feels any degree of arousal or wants anything sexually from anyone. But I think she understands that sex is powerful. So, like, when she's thinking about it and talking about it, she can manipulate based on that knowledge. So you think it's more conscious? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Consciously manipulating his feeling of power yes. and the, okay. And how it's related to sex and all of that. Like 
or anyone. She's the one whose heart is contracting, and she has the hope of righteous indignation. To me, to me, she's something happened that she's afraid of. She's afraid that he, she's upset that he found out the information, and that she doesn't hold all the cards anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, the power is yes. out of her hands a yes. little bit. So I, then, I think uh, she wants to appear some kind of way mm-hmm. that might be sexual. But these writings are not to him. These writings are. At, at the oh, moment she's yeah. writing them to, to herself or to, to a future reader. Uh, yeah. Maybe it is like a more of a subconscious thing of like, she knows that no one's trying to like have sex with her necessarily, but she Which knows. she seems grateful for. As yeah. I would be yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think she understands that it's, present in her interactions Hmm. and the way she wants to appear or i don't know it's hard to articulate yeah i mean i think it could be interpreted a lot of different ways i definitely interpreted it as like subconscious yeah um but highly interesting (laughs) Mm -hmm. so so then we got back on lydia there so Daisy, she's so interesting. it's hard to get away from her. I, oh, know. I know she's great. We could we could okay. do this whole podcast just on Lydia. So that Daisy slash Hannah is what. I like. <laughs> yeah, Daisy slash Hannah. I can't think of her no, as Daisy. Agnes is Hannah. Daisy is Nicole. That's right. right? Daisy is Nicole. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But yes, you can't you can't not think of them without the show reference. I, I know. <laughs> it's Nicole and Hannah to me. It's hard. Okay, so they go. So Ada is, uh, we learn a lot more about Ada mm-hmm. than we did in the last, the last time we talked. Ada was just this person that like came by the shop, essentially. Yeah. And had dealings with her mom or like. Yeah. She took the, she took the donated clothes that they weren't intending to sell. Right. Right. Um, Couldn't remember. And I, I can't remember if Daisy knew where they were going roughly or if she just thought like, I mean, it was clear that she thought like that lady doesn't look like she would be taking things to charity, but. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, I went. don't know that she gave it any thought whatsoever. And now Ada is a very important part of Daisy's life. <laughs> Survival, yeah. And for the second time, she's saving baby Nicole because we learn that later she was a part of the she was a part of that baby smuggling operation in when they took her through the woods of Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> the baby smuggling operation. Yes, baby. A term just cracks me up. All of terms right now. Operation um, baby smuggling. But now once again, a she's smuggle. taking her post explosion. And then they they take her to a place I don't know how to pronounce it, the Carnarvon. Oh yeah, yeah. which Where I looked the... up means castle. That was a word I found out. Ooh, it's Welsh for castle. Fun. Yeah. So this is, <laughs> they reveal to her that Melanie and Neil are not her parents, and which then... she doesn't seem upset enough about I from know. my perspective. I was, I was like, say, is this it? But yeah, she, she did seem in shock and upset, but like. I was like, is that it? Do it you, felt a did little you not glazed. really care about them at all? Mm-hmm. I, I, it just felt like she she moved past it so quickly. And she was like, oh, yeah, I'm super sad about that. So anyway, and I get that a lot is happening, so she doesn't have a, t- a ton of time to dwell. But at the same time, don't you get the sense that whenever she talks about her parents, even before they had died, like in the narrative here, that she was like, yeah, they're fine. Yes. We coexist. Totally. It didn't And I'm sorry, loving. I don't know any teenage girl who has a feeling about their parents as a teenage girl <laughs> it's usually... very strong in one direction or another or both directions but, like, it's, but it's pretty strong right i was gonna say one day what you hate girl your parents is just like Meh, they're and, fine and then the other day you love them and they know everything and then the next day you hate them and they know nothing usually it's between yes, polar, or both yeah, at the opposites. same time even yes but it's rarely like they're not as believable 
Yeah. But it also makes me wonder. Which just made me wonder about like her mental she... health, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> or or maybe Melanie and Neil treated her more like a project yeah. than like a child they deeply loved. Like maybe they were assigned to t- mm-hmm. to care for right. baby Nicole and said, Yeah, and that would make hey. sense. And so they were basically just like, We will keep you safe and alive and out of photographs. Right. And away from public events. And so maybe they kind of treated her with like a courteous detachment as well. It also makes me wonder how old she is when she's recording this testimony, because if she's freshly traumatized and you know, like maybe this is whatever happens, happens. But now this then she records it right after the fact, like maybe she's sort of still shell shocked and like looking back and just like, mm-hmm. well, they weren't really my parents. And judging from some, how much like, more we deadness, have to go in the book. Yeah. I feel like she can't be recording it right after. Right. Like that's a true. lot more is going to happen a lot. Yeah. But we don't know what that's going to be. She could still be. But surprised and in shock. No matter how detached you are from your parents or no matter how, I don't know. Yeah. No matter how whatever your upbringing was, like a chore or job to Melanie and Paul or Neil, don't you think just the massive upheaval of any type of stability? Because if nothing that else. your entire reality is fake yes. and a lie. Well, yeah. yeah, if nothing else, like maybe there wasn't, it wasn't super loving between the three of them or anything like that. But certainly it was stable and it was safe. Yeah, it does seem to me like she moved on to, well, they never really talked about their past or anything with me either. So that makes sense. And I was like. Really? What? You just yeah. read this five minutes ago. Are you sure? She downshifted pretty fast. Yeah, I don't think this char- this character is not really developed as well yeah. as I want her to be. And and then and then on top of it, she's also just shifts into Daisy has to be the one to go back to Gilead and save mm-hmm. everything. You right. know what I mean? And so then you're like, wait, what? <laughs> How did we turn around that far? Um, or like quickly, rather. She also goes from not trusting Ada at all to trusting her a whole lot mm-hmm. very quickly. That's a good point. I wonder about that, too, because she also realizes pretty quickly that she doesn't have anybody else. Like, if she is this baby Nicole and they've sort of, like, taken care of her identity as far as making sure the school doesn't follow her and the school Mm -hmm. understands, she doesn't really have a choice. Where is she going to go? She wasn't allowed to have any passions, like, to go. Like, she did some sports in in high school. And she had some friends. And she had some friends. Like, it wasn't like she was completely cut off. But she said she really didn't have really close friends either. She never attached. So I don't know... Yeah. I agree that her character needs to be developed more. It's not. I just wonder if if they're if Atwood is trying to say, what else is she supposed to do? Much like Lydia sort of had this no feeling of no choice, like they gave me the robe and what was I supposed yeah, to do? Yeah, but Lydia wasn't a shell of a person beginning. That's true. That's a good beginning point. on that journey. You yeah. know, she had to like shed that former self. Yeah, that's true. To a degree, and, and then like even Daisy go deeper doesn't. back into her history to figure out like, okay, how do I deal with this? It's the same way I dealt with my oppressive family. Uh, yeah, that's you know, a good point. I th- mm-hmm. I feel like Lydia's journey has a lot to do with her past life. Yeah, pre Gilead. So then, so you're wondering, like, why wouldn't Daisy yeah. have more of a reaction? I don't know. I don't know either. I guess I'm trying to justify Atwood because I like her. <laughs> yeah, but that's not. Really I'm fair. still <laughs> highly enjoying the book. Right. Yeah, but this does like. I feel like it just takes me out of the story a little bit sometimes where I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's right. I don't actually know much about her feelings, do I? No. This felt very, like, young adult again. Yeah. Um, That's what Daisy's character feels like. You're like, oh, you're destined to save the planet. (laughs) Didn't you know? Get this tattoo, have a fight scene montage, and you're off. 
Yeah. You know, and you're like, uh. <laughs> it's so true. Why do we have this weird bouncing back yeah. and forth between like, Lydia and Is this and divergent this? or is it? Yeah, it's exactly. I'm yeah. not sure. There's one part where she's like, oh, well, I don't like that. And then either Elijah or Ada is like, well, life sucks. Anyway. And you're like, oh, come on. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't that is even, totally the answer a grown-up would give a teenager. I know, so. like, but yep, when I read that's it, the way I was life like, is. congratulations, okay. welcome um, to the club. Yeah, but yeah. So the, I, I would say that although it's it's intriguing, Daisy is my least favorite character. Oh yeah, same. And the, I definitely felt this way last time we talked as well. Yeah. She was just the least interesting to me. Sure. Um, which I definitely would not have guessed going into this book with these three individuals that the person that we know the least about historically would be the one that I found the least interesting. Yeah. You think there'd be more. Yeah. I I thought I would enjoy getting to know her a lot more than I actually am. Yeah. I do think her, her tattoo sounds terrible. Like the scarification, 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 the raised lettering. Ow. They're not raised forever. They're only raised forever permanently. If you take real bad care of a tattoo. But so, okay, so how does that even work? Oh. It just depends on how how it was done. Okay, there's lots of different ways it could turn out. So, have we exhausted Daisy already? Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of done with Daisy. Let's move on. Back to Agnes. Wow, that was, that was so super fast. fast, guys. I know. We just I don't know we to don't say like about her, her that much. I, I think is the problem. And things are just like happening to her. She's not. Yeah. Yes. yeah, that does seem very true. Doing she is much. not master of her destiny by any no. stretch of the imagination. Which is actually but very believable Agnes, of and a 15 I find her much more interesting. Yeah. yeah. But I'm just saying, there like, isn't of much a fi- about Agnes in this section. Of a 15-year-old, I think that's pretty true. Like, things kind of happen to, to some of them yeah. instead of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unless you have a really, truly <laughs> exceptional um, maturity or yes, old soul. Like, a really, a really exceptionally gifted and motivated 15 year old i think the world just happens to them for the most part which actually is a good transition to agnes because here she is being dressed up for marriage and they're telling her stand up and is she really a woman and is that padding and yeah um, and she's you know she's really is getting even commander kyle is like is she old enough which i was like you finally i know (laughs) you are worth a mention Oh All the gosh. other times, you may as well have not have been there. But at this point, you are worth a mention, Commander Kyle. Hmm. I did have one random note that I made very early in um, when I first start hearing from Agnes again, where in the first paragraph, she says, due to the twist my life took, I was able to observe the marriage process from both sides, that of the bride being prepared and that of the aunts responsible for the preparing. Does she become mm-hmm. an aunt later? What? It, yeah, that's what that was where my mind immediately too. went. And she Are we talking ask, about Agnes? Yes. She did ask later, how does one become an aunt? Like, um, not ask I a was person, just like, but, yeah, ask yeah. theoretically. Yeah, theoretically. I Yeah, I was like, wait a minute, back up. Did I miss some cues here? Is she going to be an aunt later? And is she going to be like the one nice aunt? set up that way. Okay, one more thing about Daisy that I have to say, and then we'll move okay. forward. I'm sorry. But if she has a crush on Garth or oh, whatever, I'm like, come on. me. It just, it felt a little YA. I'm sorry. Okay, back to Agnes. I don't understand. I'm hoping that that our frustration with Daisy will, like, resolve itself. Yeah. That we'll be like, oh, that's why. But right now, it's so frustrating. Or that there'll be some sort of growth that will make it pay off. Right. She needs to grow. She needs to change. Right now, she's really one-dimensional. So, Agnes. She's only 13. Yeah. 
by the way. Yeah. I was imagining in my head that she was a little bit older than that. Like 15 or 16. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Gosh, um, and I just, you know, expected her to sound super young because it's Gilead and they don't educate girls, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was kind of disheartening to hear that she is 13 and they're like, well, you yeah. got your period. Mm-hmm. You're in. And her dad kind of defended her, which was unexpected. Yeah. And she, it even says that she had, like, ceased at that point to think of him as her father. Right. Um, yeah. Which he isn't because they stole her. But well, that also... And he's like a stranger in the house. Yeah. He has never really had any real meaningful interaction with her, it seems. Sure. So, anyway, I thought that was very interesting that Commander Kyle did seem to show an iota of caring. Um, for a moment, anyway. Mm-hmm. And I also found it super fascinating that the aunt says, don't worry, you're going to have a choice of three right. uh, candidates. And I was like, really? That seems like a lot of power to it. give the young girl in this situation. She's not going to have a choice. Yeah. There's no way. Well, I think There's even, be, it, even if they were, like, surely that would for almost you. only be for, like, upper yeah. class mm. commander's children, you know, not, yeah. not for, like, every young girl being married but I feel off. like it's kind of like when your parents are like do you want to go on this thing this oh, weekend yeah. or that thing on this, on this weekend and really they they are picking one already and you yeah. just kind of like but you would have so much no, fun no we're gonna go on a, we're yes. gonna go on a trip yes to this place are you so excited yeah. do you want to do this in the car or this in the car right and I think they're sort of doing this veiled and either way you're getting in the car for the trip at that I did enjoy the fact that she uh, embroidered a small skull into the the footstool yeah. square and was like, ha ha, they're gonna, th- I can totally get away with this, but actually it means that we're all gonna die someday and I want yeah. you to die, Paula. An interesting tie-in to all of the skulls mm-hmm. that uh, Daisy was wearing in her chosen handoff clothing. It was oh, all covered in skulls. I didn't think about that. That's very nice. I like that. Um, so I think we should address the part where Becca's first of all freaking out, understandably, Yes. Um, oh yeah, and the, the like, because we already know I that hate this not. Yeah, this. yeah, like because like we already know that her dad probably, the dentist probably did some horrible things to her. Oh yeah, but she's well and lots out. of other girls. Yeah, yeah, but like she's freaking out here in this <clears throat> situation because like everything about men, a man touching her is disgusting her, and she is forced to accept this proposal because it's like the only mm-hmm. one she's gonna get or the only good yeah. one she's gonna get, and she'll disgrace him. And then it says, I remember how upset she'd been about the story of the concubine cut into 12 pieces, but I didn't want to ask her, another girl's disgrace could rub off on you if you got too close to it, which I thought was sort of, I don't know, just an interesting thing to say. Well, I think she's talked before about how the um, how her status goes up and down according mm-hmm. to her family and everything. Yeah. So I think in her 13-year-old mind, that's still something... That's important, even though she recognizes that it's not the only thing. But you know, when she, her when her hand the handmaid got pregnant, like her status rose at school, and yeah, uh, and she knows and it's completely out of her control, but right. it clearly affects her life, right? And she may just, I think she, you know, like I said, she has so many rules in her life because she's in Gilead, and she's still figuring figuring out which ones are worth breaking or ignoring or. You know, yeah. doing in the name of friendship or in trying to be empathetic to somebody. But also yeah. it's easier to not get involved. You know what I mean? It's just well, easier. And it, you know, probably less good. so for them as young girls. But as we see in The Handmaid's Tale, 
getting too close to another woman's quote unquote disgrace in Gilead can really be actually threatening to your own livelihood and life. Yeah, I mean, true. it's not as if they can back up some other woman who says something was done to her and defend her without consequences for themselves. True. There's so it just seems to me like the the teaching of girls that like you stay out of each other's business because who knows how that'll look for you. It start just starts like real young. Yeah. Like kind of grooming them to I guess that's kinda how not I felt be about compassionate it. Yeah. to other people's problems. Or at least other women's problems. Yeah, I guess that's sort of when I read it, I thought, wow, they internalize that really young yeah. that they can't it's so sad. Like bond or sympathize or mm-hmm. anything like that. I mean and I I think it makes sense in terms of like men wanting to oppress women. Of course you wouldn't want them to like bond together or Yeah, for suppressing anyone. That's like a a key rule of war is you you separate and turn against one another, your enemy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what Lydia says she's going to do to the aunt that she's gonna divide and conquer. To make it in her favor. Too. Yeah. Which she started to do at the end of Lydia's last section. Because one of right. the aunts came to her and was like, hey, this is happening. I think this other aunt is trying the to get up on you. Thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think she's doing it to make it look worse than it is or more like your idolatry, like the mm-hmm. the the statue. And then Lydia's like, ooh, I never thought she would come to me. She used to hate my guts, but now this, you know, and, right. like, and you're like, oh, God. But there's definitely that playing with power. And I guess that's kind of, I don't think that Agnes is necessarily playing with power when she says, oh, well, I'm not going to be involved with Becca because I don't want her to rub off on me. Right. But I do think she's understanding the dynamics of what happens when you have some, like you said, somebody who's going to bring you down by association. And that could be catastrophic. It's not just like a, oh, these three girls at school don't like me anymore. It's like, you can no longer marry a nice person. Right. <laughs> and then Becca slashes her wrist. Yeah. Becca slashes her wrist with the secateurs, which I assume are scissors. It's interesting the aunt's response to that, which is that girl is immature. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like, like everyone isn't seeing what's happening yeah. here. Everyone knows what's going on. Yeah. Everyone knows that she's terrified and she's been abused and she doesn't want to yeah. do anything involving a man. And, you know, it's just, it's terrible. And she goes further to, to divide the girls. By, uh-huh. Unlike you guys. Right. The girls, not guys. I mean, I want to say that I was surprised about any of that, but I was kind of like, oh yeah. Yeah. None of that. kind of no, how that happens to me. Yeah. yeah. Like, I was like, yay. I mean, honestly, if anything in Gilead, I'm shocked it doesn't happen more often. Mm-hmm. Like, they must have done a really good job taking away all opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'd have to be really creative to try to pull that off. And I guess that's the idea. So then, I mean, chapter 13 is named, how do you say it again? Secateurs? That's the next thing that we're reading. Oh. That's the title of the next cha- uh, section. Oh. Which is a little scary. Uh, yeah. But I always have to mentally prepare myself for the book and the show and how mm-hmm. it's going to make me feel feelings. Um, so this is yeah. nothing new. <laughs> yeah. And it looks, up, it looks like next section we're opening up with um, Lydia again. Mm-hmm. Getting a lot of Lydia in this I know. book. I really like it. It makes yeah. me happy. This is so interesting. She's definitely still the character I look forward to hearing from the most. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, still a surprise to me. I would have thought more individual girls who we're hearing about as witness testimony uh, would have been more interesting. Yeah. And like, I would learn a lot more, but I feel like I'm just so mm, caught up in their like young personal things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I'm, I'm getting a lot less out of it. I, I feel like Agnes is primed to have a much more interesting story coming up because she doesn't want to get married. She's now seen, she's seen Becca for the real person and, and how yeah. many issues she's having. And, um, she seems the most like she could turn to being um, radical against her, you know, what she's, what she's currently facing. Whereas Daisy, I feel like even if, I mean, it's not like Daisy's going to turn into somebody who believes in the Gilead beliefs, you know, she's going to, I don't know, her, her path still seems set. Like whatever she does, it's going to be because Mayday told her to, don't you think? Unless she just makes a mistake. Do you think that Mayday would ever have her like murder herself? I mean, she is quite a symbol on both sides. Oh my gosh. I thought about that when they first mentioned sending her back. Yeah. Yeah. The mention of going back seems like murdering herself to me. Yeah. But I mean, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, there are lots of, (laughs) <laughs> theoretically lots of people who survive working for Mayday in Gilead. Um, I don't know how their lives really turn out, but clearly there are operatives working within Gilead. I guess. I don't know. The whole thing felt kind of rushed and like, uh, uh, yeah. like I don't know. Uh, sketchy. Not well thought out. Yeah. Yeah. I really think anytime you're sending a teenager in to be your... <laughs> Your person going into, you know, the battlefield, it's probably not super well thought out. Or, like, concern for that person's well-being is mm-hmm. not the number one mm-hmm. consideration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, a lot like we see in the show, half of her existence is being a symbol. Right. Yeah. Only Which- half of her existence is really, like, her life. And maybe, sorry, maybe she's not that developed of a character because Atwood didn't want the reader to get too attached to her. Oh, that's possible. She doesn't make it. I think it's possible. This seems like a long lead in to let somebody not be developed so that you don't get attached. I guess. But still. Well, I don't know. I'm thinking about this now, but Mayday is sort of treating Daisy or Nicole kind of like like you said like a symbol she's not like a real person much like not the same but gilead is treating their women so there's like a mm-hmm. to me there's an interesting parallel of like you're doing something for the good of people but there's still that common thread between like using somebody to to further be sacrificed for, to further your own cause yeah. because yeah. just like the handmaid who had the baby and died and wasn't helped like nicole is not choosing this she just said, well, maybe I'll think about it. And they're like, you're doing it. And she knows she's, I mean, whatever it is they, they're having her do, she's risking her life. So she is also a pawn for, for Mayday, which is, I don't know why. I find it really interesting that you're drawing these lines because of how often you've said that her part really reminds you so much of YA novels mm-hmm. about young women. Because in every YA novel about young women that I can think of in recent times, mm-hmm. they have definitely gone through this period where they're like, 
But my own people are treating me only as a symbol, too. They just want me to do oh, what yeah. they want me to do mm-hmm. because it oh, furthers like, their cause. Like the Mockingjay thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a common thread in at least current mm-hmm. YA novels focusing on girls. That's an interesting thing. I couldn't say that about all, right. you know, historically YA focusing on girls. Um, but that seems very interesting to me. Yeah. That would be a read. Hmm. But then maybe eventually, I read too much YA with female characters. Maybe, but then eventually they much? they is rebel. Much? And I don't know. <laughs> they break through and they're the hero. So mm-hmm. maybe that'll happen with once the, they, but on their own terms. On their own terms, <clears> once <throat> they discover who they are as a person. So we have to wait for Nicole to figure out like <laughs> it feels her like a long way identity. I need her she, to yeah, find out now. I for sure. Like, yeah, I wish it had been her idea girl. to go back to be like, you know what? Send me, send me. Then I mean, that sounds also similar to other books too, though. Um, I volunteer as tribute. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I don't no, want to go back and reread those. I know. <laughs> I know. So I don't want to forget to mention, you guys wanted to talk a little bit about the cover of this book. Like the cover yes. Oh, yeah. Thank you for the reminder. Yeah. Okay. Let me nerd out a little bit. Do it. So the cover art for this book is so genius. Um, mm-hmm. For readers who are reading it, um, in Kindle format or getting on an audiobook, I'm sorry, you probably don't get to see the back cover and are not getting the full effect. Mm-hmm. Um, if it. you if you have not really thought about this before and you have a print edition in front of you, uh, fold that cover out so that you see the spine and the front and the back all at the same time mm-hmm. and really look at the small spaces. So the use of negative spaces here is so interesting to me to tie these two girls together. Um, we know from going through the chapters that these are representative of Agnes and Daisy. Uh, They each get a symbol at the beginning of their chapter. It's a pen when it's Lydia. It's a like hooded, clearly in Mayday figure for Mm -hmm. Agnes. And for Daisy, it's like a typical teenager girl look with a ponytail and an earring. Um, But if you look at the what would be white spaces, they're blue in this case, uh, the negative spaces of the cloak over Daisy it's a young girl with a ponytail reaching up. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the negative space uh, behind uh, Daisy's head, between her head and her ponytail, it's a cloaked figure. Mm-hmm. I, this makes me so happy. It's such a nice little thing that is not nodded to anywhere else to like make sure that you notice it. It's just if you have the physical book in front of you and spend any amount of time looking at it, you will definitely notice at least the front. Mm-hmm. I don't know that everybody would notice the back. I didn't notice it until I stuck it up on my windowsill, just could get out of the way of my kids and my uh-huh. pets. And I was like, oh, there's a woman there. There's a woman in the cloak. <laughs> uh-huh. And Hannah, or Anna, well, Agnes. Agnes's cloak. And it, but I did not notice the other one that you just mentioned until that now. That it's a hooded figure the in hooded the back. Figure in her yeah. Yeah, design-wise, this is really good use of negative space and minimalism, especially with the limited color palette. The yep. color palette is Just. on point, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the matte navy, like almost midnight blue hue, with a very, very, very shiny lime green and bright white, mm-hmm. um, is kind of arresting to look at, which I think is highly appropriate for this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, you know, we got a lot of good backstory about what the revolution looked like, which was mm-hmm. fascinating and sorely needed. I hope Absolutely. we get even more. Yeah. Um, I'm just never there. I will never cease to be interested in how that went from lots of different perspectives. Um, I'm all in. We got a, we still got, you know, a fair amount of boring stuff. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's important to the plot <laughs> to propel it along. 
no, I have some so questions subtle. going forward. Oh. Who is the source? That's what I want to know. Mm-hmm. And I want to know if Daisy can or will succeed in this operation. Um, that she's, Ooh, can or will is a good note. Yeah. yeah not she? just will she. Yeah, because can she? I don't know. Um, I'm wondering if we'll see Aunt Lydia get back at the commanders because she made that vow. Yeah. I'm going to get back at them. And I'm wondering what's going to happen to Agnes and Becca because Agnes seems pretty distraught and Becca clearly is distraught. And I yeah. want to know how their stories are going to wrap up. Yeah. I, I will be really interested to see if we keep hearing about Becca after Agnes yeah, gets, gets married, married is basically entering into a new storyline right, as a I wife. I think it would be um, super cool if she ended up as an aunt and like your predictions were true. I don't, I don't know if I think that would be cool. I was like kind of freaked out by that when I first thought that based on, I don't know. Based on that random sentence. Is that worse than being a wife? Mm, I don't know. It's all pretty terrible. It is. There there are no good options in that scenario. At least you don't get raped every month as an aunt. But then you have to do terrible things to other people, too. Like shoot them like Aunt Lydia did. Well, she had blanks in her gun, but I get what you're saying, yes. But she didn't know that. I know. Would you shoot a gun you didn't know what was in it? I get it. Sarah. But then I would be relieved to know (laughs) later that it was a scenario. (laughs) Yeah, so lots of uh, hopes and expectations for next time mm-hmm. in our next 100 pages. Woo-hoo. Can't wait to talk uh, about it. Yeah, can't wait to see you guys back here. Uh, see you later. Bye. Bye. Yay.